and welcome back to the Dr. Vincent Buscemi podcast, All Things Self-Improvement. This was an awesome episode with Matt Kaufman, podcaster, health coach, combo practitioner, trauma survivor, previous drug addict, sex addict, grew up in Flint, Michigan. This is his podcast on the screen here, Integrative Thoughts. This dude is only 35 and has the wisdom well beyond his age. This was such a good episode. We really dived into what it's like growing up in Flint, dealing with trauma, and Matt is uncommon because most people that have his upbringing are dead, are in jail, or a drug addict, and Matt is just thriving. Matt, thank you again for the interview. Guys, this one goes longer than an hour. It was totally worth it. You guys are going to love this episode. I'll talk to you guys soon. Let me just ask you, man, what's the origin story? Why are you so dedicated to improving other people's lives? Huh, so this is why I asked you for a little bit extra time because I have such a unique and interesting kind of background. And it's like multifaceted, multi-layered kind of uh, from just birth and growing up in Flint, Michigan. And I guess maybe I could start, I felt like maybe I could break this down into two segments. It might take a while, but it might help to kind of, it might get confusing if I don't separate them because there's like growing up in Flint, Michigan with a single mom and like not really having role models as far as the trauma piece. But then also I was kind of sick my whole life from the immunological piece. So I'm going to kind of like do the emotional, like how I grew up and how that kind of played out into my life. And then maybe we could circle back to the immunological stuff and how that kind of played out and how I got really sick. So, cause they're kind of two separate things, but I, I think there are ways to weave them together as well after they kind of understand both sides. <clears throat> so growing up in Flint, Michigan, um, my mom, I think I was like a couple months old. She like caught my dad smoking crack in the basement and kicked him out. So I'm, I'm assuming, you know, Flint in the eighties probably was partying, doing cocaine or whatever, probably upgraded to crack. I mean, I don't know. I was too young to really know, but it was the eighties and it was Flint, Michigan. So I'd imagine crack was kind of everywhere. People probably may or may not have known like what that was going to lead to for them, but he was basically never around. So it was just my mom and she always worked like different, like serving and like bartending jobs. So she was kind of like not home at night. So I would get passed around to different babysitters, like my older cousins, my aunts, you know, she would have to come pick me up at like three o'clock in the morning, you know, so I would basically be sleeping, get picked up, go back to my house, go back to sleep. And you can kind of see how just from also the like, as a child, that's kind of like a feeling of neglect, right? You don't really have any parents there. And then you're getting, you know, this disrupted sleep. So it's kind of just chaos. And it's super weird, strange looking back because you just think it's normal when you're going through it. Like, oh, I just get woke up at three in the morning from my aunts. And then I go back to my house and I go to sleep and I fall asleep on the couch. And, you know, we don't have family dinners and all this other shit that, you know, normal people do, but you don't really know when you're young. And my mom had a pretty traumatic life too. Her, my grandpa was really abusive. She moved out when she was like 16, you know, so that's kind of why I think she's kind of single mom, has some trauma with the partners that she picks and everything. And she did the best she could. She just didn't really know how to be like, you know, a loving parent. Like she never said, I love you. It wasn't until I was an adult 
Um, and I started saying, I love you to her. Once I had done some psychedelic ceremonies and worked through some traumas and different things like that, that we actually even say, I love you. So I'm growing up kind of just kind of a lone wolf. Like I did whatever I wanted. I had to cook for myself. I had to kind of do everything and just learn from like my older brother who was like seven years older than me or my older cousins. And then you'll kind of just see that play out in the rest of my life as far as relationships and kind of the armor that I put up because of, I think I had to build that armor and that shell around me just to kind of deal with what was going on around me. And my stepdad that I had for a long time, he was like from the north end of Flint, black dude, super cool, super nice to me, but was just like selling coke, had a like kids with like, by like probably like 20 different women. I'm not lying. Like I, I, it's unreal. Like how many kids he had by like so many different women. So like that was kind of my role model. So in high school, like I'm selling weed, even though I'm like getting straight A's and playing sports, I'm like into selling drugs. I'm into partying and that kind of carries over into college where it kind of gets a little bit worse because now I'm not playing sports. Those were kind of keeping me more in check. I can kind of party when I want I'm selling drugs a little bit here and there on the side. <clears throat> and then I um, eventually started growing cannabis. It was funny. I was in my pre-law bachelor's program and cannabis kind of came on the market. And so I started to play around with growing cannabis at a buddy's house um, my last semester of college. So I'm kind of like driving home on the weekends and I'm growing cannabis and I'm going back and I'm getting my pre-law degree. So super counterintuitive, kind of funny, even though it was like legal, like we had our medical cards, you still were like on the black market selling it and stuff like that. <clears throat> and when well, Let me ask you a quick question, yeah. Matt, real quick. So as you're describing your childhood, most kids don't think college. Most kids with the childhood you described are either in jail or they are homeless. Did you have any figures in your life that were like, Matt, you should try college out? How did you think... That was even an option for you. Uh, I don't know. I just, I honestly, school was really, really easy for me. Um, I'm not sure. I just literally was always took the, took the most advanced classes you could take at a school like mine. They weren't the school I went to. I like looking back, I think they don't challenge people that much because it's kind of like a, you know, lower end kind of poverty style uh, city where if they push people really, really hard, I don't think they would pass many, very many students. But, you know, I would take these advanced chemistry classes and these advanced physics classes and all this shit that no one else was really taking. And I would kind of sleep through half of them, but I would get A's. So it was kind of always like I felt like school just kind of came easy to me. And I just wanted to be the one who was like one of the first people within my lineage to actually get a degree. There's only like two of us. And my older cousin took like 10 years to get his. He got same kind of thing, trauma. He got kicked out a bunch, kicked out of campus for a couple of years, finally went back. And so it's kind of a pattern that plays out even within my cousins and all of that stuff that stems down from my grandpa. So never really had any role models. People always like told me I was smart and whatever. And I felt like maybe I would be letting some people down if I didn't go get a degree. So I think it was just like something there I was trying to prove. But at the end of the day, uh, not dealing with the traumas and not really having, you know, nuclear family and things like that kind of played out into my addictions. And then once I started growing cannabis and I was kind of my own boss, I really just had pure freedom. Like you could be drinking whiskey while you were watering your plants. You really didn't have anyone to answer to. So with that freedom came a lot more time to party, stay up late, stay up for a couple of days at a time. 
And I don't know. I kind of had this image that I was only like people thought I was just growing cannabis. But honestly, I literally I, I was DJing at this little like ghetto ass strip club in Flint straight like getting paid to dj but really i was just like popping pills all day selling pills selling adderall selling xanax selling coke selling steroids like and growing cannabis all while consuming all the same thing so it was kind of wild like i was never like homeless on the street like asking or begging for money so no one really was ever worried about me but i I was definitely addicted to like five different substances, just had them at the house, whatever I felt like taking at any given time. And just, you know, just obviously the sex plays into that, like just lots of different women, whenever I can, however I could, couldn't really hold relationships, never was really shown how to hold a relationship. And then finally, one day as I was older, I took like one relationship serious, which is the current relationship that I'm in now. Currently, I'm married to my wife not on drugs. And, um, I don't even know what sparked that. I think I was just kind of sick and over like the, the chase of women and the feeling that you get that thrill that most people know if they've ever kind of went on a little streak of trying to hook up with women or women hooking up with men, you know, you kind of both get this like really, really high and that kind of fade away and I didn't really enjoy it anymore. So I finally started to like you know, try and take this relationship with my current wife serious now. And so that was kind of like how the trauma played out. Basically, you know, couldn't hold relationships. I was just single. I was just doing whatever I want. Very hedonistic type of things. But then also with my upbringing on the other end, there was a lot of immunological issues. Now, my mom smoked cigarettes when she was pregnant with me. Um, I don't know if the trauma played into maybe some of the genetic issues I already had, you know, as far as like, it's a lot to like unravel because I had like 12 different ear surgeries. I've had both of my eardrums reconstructed. I had my tonsils out, my adenoids. I had pneumonia. I had flu where I felt like I was going to die for like a week. So I like had all of this immunological stuff growing up and I really can't remember a time that I didn't live on antibiotics. So like, I was just like, that's all they would do. They would just give me some more antibiotics. And so sometimes I wonder how much, not only the trauma, but like the wiping out of my entire immune system and my gut function and how that would overall affect my mood, you know, all of all of your hormones and all of your neurotransmitters and everything are made in your gut. So maybe from the antibiotics, wiping everything out within my system, that potentially could have been why I was using the drugs because I just didn't feel that well, just normal. You know, I would work out all the time. I would use these substances, A, to mask the trauma, but B, I think to just feel good because I had wiped out my entire system. I would get fungal infections on my face. They would never know what they were. They would just give me creams and it just played out and played out. And then after I went on that 10-year streak of like partying really hard, I just crashed and burned. So I had moved down here from Flint, Michigan to Tampa. I kind of wanted to change. I thought if I just got sober and got out of the partying scene and just stayed working out, was down here in the sunshine, more healthy environment, I would feel really, really good. And it really wasn't the case. I didn't realize how far down that like chronic illness path I had went. So we were living in a moldy house down here and I ended up getting out of there and felt a little bit better, but I ended up having to go see Dr. Minkoff in Clearwater. It's like a world renowned doctor has like an 85% success rate 
of curing cancer in Lyme. And I ended up, I did have Lyme. I had heavy metals. I had Epstein-Barr. I had Babesia. And I had already been listening to like Ben Greenfield podcast and these other like alternative health podcasts. So I, I knew not to take like, you know, SSRIs and things like that for the depression. I knew that there was probably a something deeper rooted there, like neuroinflammation and, you know, chronic infections and heavy metals. So I had to go that route. And it's interesting. It's back to the emotional piece. Sometimes I wonder if I already had kind of like predisposed, like, shitty genetics for like methylation or detoxification that I probably, if I was really healthy, had a loving family, maybe the epigenetic factor would have allowed me to probably get rid of some of these metals or things that I came across, you know, throughout my lifetime. But maybe since the trauma and the neglect that kind of epigenetically shut down my already predisposed bad genes for detoxification. And so anytime I encountered some of these heavy metals, maybe I was just really holding on to them instead of releasing them. Or it could have just been the genetics in general that I have a tougher time eliminating them. And therefore I kind of built up more of that stuff. And I did have a bunch of mercury fillings as well growing up, which I know that's kind of your wheelhouse uh, being in dentistry. So I have been eliminating a lot of mercury, arsenic, aluminum, and things like that as far as on my healing journey. So there's like this crazy emotional piece that kind of led me into crazy pathways. And also, I think the bombing of my immune system pretty much my entire childhood played a lot into that as well. So I don't really blame it all on trauma. I kind of blame it like half on trauma and the city I was in. And I kind of blame the other half on the medical system. I kind of got chewed up, spit out, no answers. Here's another pill. And from there, I kind of just got so sick and fed up with everything that I felt like enough was enough. So I got into psychedelics, I got into combo, I got into ozone, I got into heavy metal detoxification, you know, I got into all the things that I chat about on my podcast that have really helped me. And from there, I just keep feeling better, getting better, having better relationships, making better connections like yourself. And it's just a kind of a wild story. So I don't know if I went all over the place there or if I reeled it in for you, but that's kind of like my background. Yeah, I got it. We're going to figure this out in the next two hours. <laughs> Most people that go through all this, and I already just said that, aren't on the other end of my podcast. They're in jail, like I said. They're doing drugs. So let's go back to your pre-law days. You're having sex with a bunch of women. You're partying. <laughs> what triggered you to have a solid relationship with your wife? Why did you think like this is the time to sit down with someone and start a life with someone else? So... I will say in my 20s, while I was being wild, I did have one other relationship that I tried to take serious, but I would get caught cheating a little bit and then she would cheat, you know, kind of, you know, retaliating. But she did help me a lot with like how to even halfway be a boyfriend, you know, she kind of, I always say this, like a, a relationships are like a spiritual ceremony in and of themselves. They kind of pull back a lot of the curtains on a lot of the traumas that you have and just patterns, especially someone like me who really never got like told what to do when they were younger and then was just doing whatever they wanted, even as an adult. So like you get into this relationship and you realize like, damn, I really, I'm not, I can't act this way. Like around her family or around when I'm in public with her, like I, like I'm now connected to somebody else 
in my actions, if I'm out fighting or acting crazy, like those are a reflection of her. But ultimately I couldn't find myself. I kept cheating even though I wasn't getting caught. And in that, I, even though I didn't have to lie about it because I wasn't getting caught up with the cheating, I felt bad. It was weird because I've never really been much of a liar. I'm a very like straightforward, honest person. When I was doing drugs, I'd tell you I was on drugs. Like I didn't never really try to hide it. When I was an alcoholic, I would literally tell people like, I'm an alcoholic. Like I drink every day. Like I don't care. Like I'm not here to try to please you. This is just like how I live my life. And so that small little couple year relationship that was off and on kind of made me feel like I wanted a relationship, but I just didn't want that relationship. And so then we broke up and I really wasn't looking for a relationship, honestly. But Nicole, I don't know what it is about her. We used to know each other in college and I would feel really connected to her then. We just had mutual friends, and but she had this boyfriend, so we like never really hung out. But we kind of were like attracted to each other, but it never really went anywhere. And so I think there's like a deeper part of me that like honestly felt like I had been with Nicole like in a past life. And I just trusted that gut instinct and what kept drawing me to her so that when she, we were finally both single as adults and then we did uh, – meet up and hang out. I don't know. I just told myself if I was going to try a relationship again at all, then I was just going to take it serious or I was just going to break up with her. Like I didn't like the feeling of like going behind someone's back and kind of hiding things. So I don't know, like most people like get off on like cheating and getting away with it. That's kind of like a male, even females nowadays kind of get off on that. Like, Oh, I got away with it. And they think it's funny, but I always kind of felt kind of like icky inside. Like I didn't like that. So once I got with Nicole, I just, one thing I said is like, I'm not, I'm not going to cheat. And I just like, I'm going to take this serious. And if I'm going to be out fucking around, then I'll just, you know, break up with her. So I don't really know how that happened. I was on drugs at the time, still doing the same shit, but I just had like a revelation. And like I said, I, I, I was getting sick of kind of just like hooking up with whoever. It just kind of got old. Like it, it didn't give me the same thrill that it used to. And so I, I really just kind of gave all that up. Where did you develop this conscience? Because, and I don't want to speak poorly about your biological father or stepfather because I don't know them, but it sounds like your biological father was a liar, or at least he lied to your mother, and it sounds like your stepfather may have been a liar too. The two most prominent men in your life have been liars. Where did you develop this pursuit of honesty? I, I honestly, truly cannot tell you. I have just always been that way. I've just never really like beat around the bush with people. I've always gave people my honest opinion. I always hated people who were fake. I wouldn't hang around people who were fake. I just really, I don't know. I didn't like liars. I've never have. Okay. Do you find that when you were growing up in Flint, was honesty like a virtue that would help you survive in the streets of Flint or was dishonesty get you ahead of the game? I will. I, I always say this about the people of Flint. Like, I don't know. I've been to different like hoods in Detroit and Detroit's somewhat similar because we're kind of close, but like other places and you will find some of the most honest, straightforward people you've ever met in Flint, whether that's like a cycle of trauma where they just literally don't give a fuck what you think or, or that's just how they were bred because you're around a lot of other like real people. But like, they don't have a lot going for them, but I will say, like, when you meet a real, like, person from Flint, like, you'll know it. Like, you really will know. It's just something that's bred into us, I think. 
Okay, so it seems like the honesty was maybe learned on the streets of Flint. And then when you brought that into the relationship with your now wife, did she grow up in Flint? No, she grew up uh, outside of Detroit. So not really hood. It's just like a pretty basic town called Melvindale. You probably know where it's at. Yeah, I know. Where, yeah, okay. she grew up in Melvindale. So um, just the outskirts of Detroit, not anything special, just kind of normal, both parents, middle class family. Now, did you tell her up front about your past before you guys engaged in a relationship? I mean, she, she knew me in college. So okay. she, she, I, it was, it was very apparent that what I had been doing at least sexually, um, in college, because I didn't hide that either from anyone. And then getting together with her, were you nervous at all to, I guess, open up your heart to someone else who even hurt in the past? It was strange because I didn't know if we were going to date. We kind of, she still lived in Saginaw cause that's where we, uh, both graduated college and I was living in Flint. So we were kind of long distance as far as like, it wasn't too far, but it was like 40 minutes. So, you know, we were just hanging out for a while. I wasn't, I told her like, I, I just had that long relationship. I don't know what I'm trying to get out of this. So I was being honest with her in the beginning that I didn't know what I was even trying to do. We were just like hanging out and having fun. But then after we hung out for like six months, I started to really like her. I could tell she liked me a lot. And so then we kind of just started to date and said, we'll just try it out. You know, I just didn't really give any promises on anything. Were there things in the relationship that became conflicts because of previous trauma? Uh, yeah, I mean, just like communication style, you have to think we were still partying a lot. Like when we got together, it wasn't like I met her when we were sober, so with drug use and alcohol abuse always comes like I always say this like anytime you're drinking with your significant other to like get drunk drunk like not just like a couple cocktails you're gonna argue about the dumbest shit alcohol is just such a stress on the liver the liver controls a lot of your like anger and emotions and mood and so yeah we had a lot of arguments but for the most part we were pretty good but the alcohol would bring out a little stupid argument over nothing we would usually talk about it the next day but i did start to get into like a lot of meditation i started i stumbled upon tim ferris randomly a buddy of mine one buddy that i had in flint it was like we clinged together we don't even talk anymore but i always say he changed my life he was like into reading books and he got me into podcasts and tim ferris and Tim Ferriss had been going through his ayahuasca ceremonies and things like that, where he was really talking about how he changed the way he communicated and how meditation had really helped. And I was going to yoga. So I was starting to do these more balancing practices that would help me not really just react in the moment and kind of take a pause and step back and reflect before I made some rude, irrational kind of statement. But, you know, it took years. It did. It was a slow learning of, you know, you can't act this way. You shouldn't be speaking like this to people, you know. So, and, and from both sides, she had never really been in a conscious relationship either. So it took some work from her end as well. And we just kind of both went through that together. You must be super self-reflective, super introspective. Your emotional intelligence for yourself is like off the charts. I'm like <laughs> kind of blown away right now. So when you're getting into this meditation, how do you start? You fucking buy the you fucking <laughs> buy the pillow off Amazon that Tim Ferriss recommends just because that's the only person that you've ever heard talk about meditation. Um, and you just fucking sit there and it's terrible and it's awful. And I honestly... <laughs> 
Because if you've never sat with your thoughts and you've been just crazy partying, living savagely forever, it's like you don't want to sit there in your own head. That shit is going all over the place. You start thinking of childhood shit and shit that you did yesterday that was ignorant and things that you just your your thoughts are really crazy when you first start meditation. And uh, what was this app I used to use in the beginning that really helped? Uh, Headspace. Headspace. Okay. I, don't, I don't know if that's still really popular, but it was a recommendation from Tim Ferriss, I think, or some other somewhere I learned that Headspace is kind of like a guided meditation that can help you when you're starting out, which really did because you got you got the kind of the music and someone kind of speaking to you. So you're not just sitting there with only your thoughts. And then after I did that for a long time, I started to do it on my own and. I, I meditated a lot for years. Sometimes I would meditate for like an hour a day. I would do like three 20 minute sessions because anytime I would get an urge to want to smoke cannabis or drink or anything like that, I would just grab the pillow and meditate. It was like, it was like my little temple. What are some of the negative emotions that are coming up when you first start meditating that you had to deal with? I mean, I, I think you just start to notice how like quick you are and not just you, you start to realize how quick everyone, especially in the city I was living in, how quick they are to react with a statement and like blow up when, if you would have just like slept on it or gave it time that it could have just been like communicated. So like the whole situation could have been diverted. Like you could have just avoided a catastrophe whether that's business partner, a relationship, you know, talking to your mom, anything like people can get on your nerves and they will, but it doesn't have to be an explosion. Like it doesn't have to be something that you have to piece back together for the next two weeks. So once you meditate and you learn how to pause, like you don't have to respond to a text message instantly that pisses you off. You can respond later. You can respond tomorrow. You can respond in two days, give it some time. And I guarantee when you come back, to that text, that email, whatever it is, that phone call, that you can look at that a little bit differently. But if you react like that, it, it's bad news. It, it, and, you know, and I would, I would start to notice those patterns. And then I would notice even my addictive patterns more, just sexually, you know, pornography, like all these little things would start to come up and you would just breathe through it and then breathe through it. And then over time, like, you kind of start to like rewire yourself. It's, it's very interesting. The mixture for me was kind of like microdosing and meditation. I think I damn near rewired my whole brain. You said something very important. You don't have to spend the next two weeks picking up the pieces by making a snap comment. I mean, I can just look back at my life when I've made a comment and I'm like, Oh fuck, if I would have waited just 20 minutes, I wouldn't be spending the next week apologizing to that person. Is that something you learned through meditation or is that when you went further into the psychedelics, how to almost have more metacognition where you're viewing yourself or viewing your thoughts? Yeah, that's a good question. It's kind of hard to tell. I kind of picked up on both of them around the same time, you know, so I was starting to microdose to like not go out and party and use harder drugs. And then I was using meditation to just kind of center myself and do yoga. So it was kind of like all came into my field at the same time when I picked up um, Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss. If anyone's never read it, it's like a fucking holy grail kind of Bible of just like health, wellness, business, all these 
little bite-sized pieces that he picked up from all the podcast guests over the years on his show and kind of puts it all into one book and you don't really have to read it front to back. You can kind of just like shift through section to section on what you're really looking for in the moment. So he had a piece in about psychedelics and microdosing and then also um, the meditation piece was like like 90 something percent of the high performers like on his show basically said meditation changed their life, whether it was relationships or business or whatever. So it seemed like a pretty good number percentage wise, as far as like how many people were meditating on one of the highest level podcasts out there. So I picked them both up at the same time, but I will say large doses of psilocybin ceremonial style have probably increased my emotional intelligence more than anything. Well, let's talk about that because I'm so ignorant to anything psychedelic. I don't even know what a microdose is, like how much that is. What is microdosing and why are you doing it? So microdosing is subperceptual. Like you can take a little bit in the morning, whether that's LSD or it's psilocybin, and you can go about your day as normal. But you will have a little elevated mood. You will uh, think a little bit more creatively. You might be a little bit nicer. I've noticed for sure that I'm nicer when I'm uh, microdosing regularly, like a couple times a week or whatever. And that is just kind of like, you know, just to kind of help even you out a little bit. I feel like you think about your patterns and stuff a little bit more. And you kind of can integrate a little bit more on your emotional piece or your business stuff, your relationship, a little bit of everything. And LSD is kind of more of like an upper. Like I feel like if I'm trying to think creatively around a podcast or to bang out some work or a social media post and I want to look at the content in a little bit of a different way, then LSD is what I would probably be on for that day. And I, I do think LSD was critical for me quitting alcohol as well. And we can go there if you want. Anybody yeah. who's struggling with alcohol, you know, once I realized that LSD was actually a critical component in the formulation of Alcohol Anonymous, I really opened my eyes and goes, hmm, why? Like if, if that was like, that was like the main piece that got, I can't even remember the guy's name. The guy who created AA, he had LSD in the original part, but he thought it would be too controversial and they took it out. But I think if more people were figuring out how to microdose LSD, like when you were microdosing LSD, you don't even think about alcohol. Like, and it's like, just like a twice a week type of thing. It's not even like an everyday thing. Like a couple, you know, microdose one day take two days off microdose the next that day after that like every third day and you'll see how much you don't care about alcohol it is profound how much you just won't even care about alcohol or if you were to drink like at dinner you might have like one or two drinks you just don't really care about it as much so i think anybody struggling with alcohol could play around and do some research around uh, microdose and lsd but that's just microdosing and that's just kind of like you can go throughout your day like but a macro dose is different. A macro dose should mostly be done with someone who can guide you through that because that's where you really unravel a lot of the childhood stuff and things that you've been burying deep. So that's like, you know, say I've never done ayahuasca, but I've done really high doses of psilocybin and that changed my life. You know, I kind of say there was like a person, like I'm have two different people, parts of my life. And one is before psychedelics and the other is after like completely different person it's insane and you know i just unwrap all this stuff that i'm talking about and really piecing together like my mom's trauma from my grandpa 
down to me. Like a lot of this stuff unraveled and got pieced together during my psychedelic ceremonies. And you take a bigger dose there and you have an eye mask on so that you're not conflicted. You want it all to be internal. So I like to do the higher doses with an eye mask on. So you're kind of getting rid of that one of your senses. And so it's all inside. And then you have the spiritual music playing and then you have someone around to guide you in case, you know, traumatic things come up. They can talk you through that and make sure you don't do anything drastic or crazy because it's not the drugs really that's making you feel that way. It's the emotional piece that you're experiencing that you're not ready to really go there, that the psychedelics will take you there, that you may need a guide to talk you through that. So is it kind of like taking the psychedelics to almost like pull a thorn somewhere that's inside your brain that's like causing these emotions to stay in there? And like once you take the psychedelic, you're uncovering uh, trauma somewhere in you that needs to be released? It's hard. Like anybody who's been through a psychedelic experience knows that it's 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 almost hard to put words to it. We try, but the English language (laughs) really doesn't have there's no words that will ever explain like what you're actually going through and how it how it happens. But what I do know is the emotional pieces will come up. And then you'll live them, you'll cry, you'll think about them, you'll analyze them. And then you'll realize that you don't have to live with those. Like just because that happened to you doesn't mean that you have to carry it with you forever. It allows you to release it and then view it through a different lens. And what that does is that sometimes as far as and I'm concerned, that can kind of become your superpower, especially if you have somewhat of a wild backstory like mine it kind of ends up if you can come out the other side analyze it talk to people like this share your story it can become kind of like the hero's journey a little bit like your superpower you know and there was one time I remember like you know I hadn't thought about my dad in a really really long time like you know I hadn't seen him since I was like little like he came around like a few times like picked me up you know after my mom kicked him out but he was just like drunk and shit so my mom kind of just quit letting that even happen so I hadn't seen him since I was a little kid and one time at the very end of a psychedelic ceremony I just cried and I forgave him I just forgave him for everything and told him that you know life as a human is hard life in Flint is hard I had my own addiction, so I get it. I know what kind of state he was in, and I just cried and forgave him. And it was bizarre because I hadn't really thought much about him or tried to even analyze our relationship in decades. Do you think without the psychedelics, you would have ever had that form of empathy to forgive a father that abandoned you? Probably not. I used to carry around... A chip on my shoulder. I always say this. Um, I think the reason that I would try to make make a lot of money in my twenties, even though I was doing it illegally and growing cannabis, I think I had something to prove. Like I wanted to prove that he left someone alone, and I'm gonna like I'm gonna show him who he left, like what I'm capable of. Like I had a chip on my shoulder to prove myself. Maybe that's why I went to college. Maybe that's why I wanted to make a bunch of money. That's why I traveled all around living luxurious you know i would i would made so much money in my 20s i was just traveling wherever i wanted doing whatever i wanted you know living life like a rap star (laughs) like just literally buying bottles at the club and doing drugs and hanging out with women and but i always knew i was capable of more and i always until i did psychedelics i didn't realize that i was actually just trying to prove to him 
that I was capable of something. And then once I did psychedelics, I'm still very driven and entrepreneurial, but I do it for myself and I do it for my wife and my future family instead of trying to prove that to somebody. So I don't know if I would have ever had empathy for him. I probably would still be a little bit hedonistic and a little bit more chaotic within how I make money and how I do business had I not uh, explored psychedelic routes. It sounds like the psychedelics have given you a path to forgiveness, which almost like integrates pre-psychedelic Matt and post-psychedelic Matt. Are there, now that you're in your mid-30s, when you reflect back and think about your biological father, is it still the empathy, the forgiveness, or does, we'll say, old Matt ever kind of pop back up? No, I mean, um, he's passed away now. I don't know. My, my mom still knows some old people from the neighborhood they grew up with. Like, no one called me to tell me that. And he's passed away, and he I think he was still just, like, drinking and doing drugs and stuff till the day he died. So, you know he clearly had addictions and actually any person that I've ever met from my dad's side of my family. Cause I would, I did meet like some of my cousins and stuff like that. As I got older, they're all like, you know, my aunt from that side used to go to this like little hole in the wall bar that my buddy owned and I would be in there drinking. And she'd always try to bring up stuff about my dad and my dad's family. And they're all fucked up. So, I mean, honestly, when I look back at it, I really realized that it would probably would have been a more of a negative influence than what I was even getting at home. Cause my mom just smoked cigarettes and drank coffee. I'd never really seen her drunk. Um, like, you know, like at least it was, it was more stable probably without them in my life. And I've realized that. And I kind of actually am grateful that they kind of weren't around. They must look at you and think like, Oh my gosh, look what Matt has done with his life. Do any of them ever reach out? Are the cousins like similar ages as you? Yeah, a few of them are, and I have them on Facebook and stuff. They don't really reach out, but I wonder sometimes if they see like the posts from the podcast and things that I'm doing with my wife, and hopefully they're cheering me on. You know, hopefully I can show them that you know we all kind of grew up in the same neighborhood with the same you know uh, addictive patterns and traumas, and hopefully they realize that they can change if they want to put the work in. Oh yeah. So when it comes down to the psychedelics, are you still microdosing and doing psychedelic ceremonies or is that tailored off? Yeah, so I kind of backed off the macro doses a little bit. I probably only did one of them. Uh, I think I did one around a year ago. I think I might do one in the next few months, but I've kind of been more focused on actually detoxing these heavy metals and things like that because... I talk about this in other podcasts on my show, uh, which is called Integrative Thoughts, if anybody wants to check it out. I have a show with this guy called The Mineral Shaman, where we talk about how psychedelic experiences actually can deplete people further if they're in like a mineral imbalance and a mineral depleted state, because it is a stressful experience. You are flooding the body with all these neurotransmitters. It's, it's a stressor to the body and that if you're not already grounded, it can maybe wipe you out a little bit further. So I've taken a step back on the macro doses because I was doing them like quarterly for a couple of years. And I've took a step back from those. But yes, I do. I still love the micro dosing. I love how just much nicer I am on it, more grounded. And I really just think that I am more creative and I do have a higher level of emotional intelligence when I'm microdosing because I've taken some breaks and then went back to it. And I just, I do really feel a net positive 
but it's also just an adjunct therapy to all the other things that I do. You know, I have PMF at the house. I have my infrared sauna at the house. I have an ozone machine at the house. I play around with different Rife machines and quantum frequency devices. So it's like, you know, it's just an adjunct therapy to a healthy lifestyle. I don't think you're going to microdose your way out of, you know, heavy metal toxicity or Lyme disease, but it can be something that elevates your mood and maybe helps you to release some of the emotional patterns and processes that are kind of weighing you down. Because I do think that a lot of people within the health and the biohacking sphere, they're looking for the next technology and the next device, and they're kind of throwing away the emotional piece. And they don't even realize it because a lot of people, they didn't have trauma like I did. Like I understood that I had trauma and I needed to work through it. Some people have what they call like lowercase t trauma, right? Seemed from the outside, they had the white picket fence, they had the middle class family, but maybe dad worked too much and wasn't around or they didn't show enough love and care and your emotions weren't met. You know, a lot of people don't know how to talk about their own emotions, better yet to discuss them with their children. So I think almost everybody has some form of trauma that they could work through. And I'm not recommending psychedelics for everybody, but I do think they can be a net positive. I've only seen a net positive from most of the people around me. And I've have heard of negative experiences, people not come being able to reintegrate back into normal society after some of these. So I'm not going to say that nothing can go wrong. You could have a mind expanding experience and no longer want to be with your husband or wife or no longer feel like you are called to go to a regular job. So there are like earth shattering kind of paradigms that can come out of some of these situations. So I would tread lightly and do a lot of research like I did before you jump into something like that. But yeah, I still microdose at least like twice a week and sometimes it's LSD, sometimes it's a mushroom cap, but yeah, I, I enjoy that. Did you microdose today? No, not today. I'm, no. A, I'm on my Newtopia today. What's Newtopia? So Newtopia, oh, I just love the Bioptimizers guys so much. I think they're the most advanced supplement company in the game. Most people know them for like their... Uh, magnesium breakthrough which is like the best magnesium on the market if you've never taken that but they have these nootropic blends that um they're customized so like the first ever truly customized nootropic blend specifically for you like you'll take a survey and then they will send you blends based upon your survey whether you're sensitive to caffeine whether you want more focus more creativity and there's not just one formulation they send you like a box with like six different things in there one's called upbeat one's called brain flow one's called apex one's called nectar x so you get a different um nootropic blends depending on what mood you're trying to get in and then each month you can update them yourself you can go in there and say i liked brain flow but i want to be a little bit more creative on it or i want a little bit more drive or focus and you can play around with those blends month to month until you customize them exactly how you want so i think they're leading the charge it sounds like a fucking headache from a business standpoint and i've i know them guys personally and i've told them that but they're they're cranking it out somehow so when you took that survey what were you trying to optimize mentally or mood wise well you know i'm coming off the you know the whole lyme disease so i still had quite a bit of brain fog and i still do some days because i actually just got a report back where i dumped a little bit of mercury out a little bit of uh, arsenic a little bit of aluminum so i do still have these heavy metals coming out so i do have a little bit of brain fog on certain days you kind of can't really pick and choose it it's just like as your body starts to release some of these things you can 
just kind of feel kind of just brain foggy. And I've, I've had a few podcasts where I've felt like that and hopefully they sound okay. Cause I'm just like pushing through it. But, um, I was just trying to definitely have a little bit more focus, a little bit more energy to get through the podcast because I was still detoxing and stuff and they've worked wonders for me. Are you sensitive to caffeine? No, I'm actually, I've never been, you know, I got my genetics red and they like, I'm a fast oxidizer or whatever. Like I can have a cup at, I don't drink it super late, but I could have a cup of coffee at like 3 PM and just go to bed fine. Okay. We're the complete opposite. I drink <laughs> coffee at like 8 AM and I'm like still jittery. Yeah. Do you, so there's a few different things that I like to say about coffee that I think one is quality of coffee, you know, upgrade to something like a purity coffee or a biodynamic coffee, something that's mold free, heavy metal free, pesticide free. Cause I don't, it's been a while since I've researched it, but I'm pretty sure that caffeine has the ability to cross the blood brain barrier very quickly. That's mm -hmm. why like one sips like boom, dopamine, right? Like it, it crosses really easy. So if you have a heavily sprayed pesticide laden coffee, Where's it going? Straight to the brain. So then you have the jitters, you have the anxiety. And then I also say, um, you know, I like to add a couple drops of CBD and MCT oil in there. So the fat will help to kind of slow release that caffeine. The CBD will kind of level you out. Some people use L-theanine. I've done that before as well. So it's kind of like you're getting this like drive, but also this like soothing, relaxing phase as well. And for me, that's kind of where you want to be. So you mentioned that you have some brain fog in the past. When I talk to you, I'm thinking like your IQ is very high. So what is it like to have brain fog? Can you describe the experience? So in the thick of it, I would, it was weird. Like I, I, I didn't even have like brain body connection. Like I would drop stuff. Like I would oh, just literally okay. just like drop, like break things. And my wife would be like, what the fuck? Like I would just literally like just drop things. So I didn't have like the, it wasn't working. Like I used to play sports. I was super like, you know, coordinated, hand-eye coordination. Like I would just drop shit. Um, also, I always tell this story because I probably did this like 30 times. I would leave my house. I would lock the door. I would get in the car. I would drive down the street. And then I couldn't remember if I shut or locked the door. So I would circle around the block and come home and then go up there and make sure the door was locked. And I did that like, I don't know, probably like there, I don't even remember how many times like there was it always, was it always locked? It was always locked. It was always, always shut. <laughs> it was fucking crazy, man. So it was like, but my brain would just run in circles. It would like race. Like, did you lock the door? Like, are the cats going to get out? Like, you know, all your stuff's in there. It's going to get stolen. Like, I, like these scenarios would play out in my head. So I just <laughs> circle back around. Door was always locked. Door was always shut. And it just happened. And so, you know, I would listen to full like podcasts, like feel like, okay, I just learned a whole bunch. And then I would like take the headphones out and then I would go, I don't remember almost anything that they just said, but I was like constantly like reading articles and listening to podcasts and not really remembering them. Sometimes I would just have to listen to the same podcast two, three times, read the same article, like two, three, four or five times. Like it, it was pretty bizarre um, how it was playing out. And, you know, I, I had the wherewithal to realize that that was not who I was. Like I literally used to not even try in high school and college and would remember everything. Like I studied less than everyone that I knew. I was out partying, getting laid. Like I didn't care about studying. I worked a job the whole time I went to college, partied three, five days a week, was trying to hook up with whoever I could lay, get my hands on and still would make the dean's list every every uh, semester almost. So I knew that that wasn't my norm. 
And I, I'm actually grateful that it happened to me at a younger age, you know, around like 30, because I think it happens to a lot of people what happened to me, but slowly over time. And so people are like 50 or 60. And what do they do? They say, oh, it's just old age. So had that happened to me later in life, I might just chalk it up to Alzheimer's or dementia or something like that. When really, I believe that all of these diseases and uh, neurological conditions have some form of chronic infection or heavy metal at the base of it. And I just am super grateful looking back on it, that it happened to me at an age where I knew that it wasn't normal. So what were you thinking was causing it? we just talked about heavy metals. Did you get tested for heavy metals? We could, like, how does Lyme disease play into this? When did you find out about that? Yeah. So, you know, I got really, really sick. I already like, wasn't that great. I think I had a little bit of brain fog, but I was like pushing through, was doing okay. We moved into this house down here that had mold and we didn't know. And I think that's what took me under. <laughs> and then once we moved out of there, I felt a little bit better, but I was just still off. And so my wife was like, you just have to go like see. And I, I was seeing some people, but they weren't getting me anywhere. Like my blood work looked fine. I was eating paleo. I was eating really clean. I was taking magnesium. I was taking organ supplements and eating liver and doing all these things that I heard were supposed to give you more energy and make you healthy. Yeah, I wasn't really getting any healthier or getting any better. So finally, I I had a toss up. I was going to go to either Dr. John Laurence in Sarasota or Dr. Minkoff. Those are kind of like my were my two top level. Knew I was going to spend a lot of money, but just didn't care. That's just how bad I felt. And I went out to Dr. Minkoff and it was like a $20,000 procedure, but he doesn't like to do a lot of muscle testing. And he does dark field microscopy where he'll, you know, prick your blood. And he showed me all of the biofilms and the cytokines and the inflammatory responses I was having within my blood right in front of my eyes. And I muscle tested for Lyme and Epstein-Barr and Babesia. And as I worked through those, I did feel better. But then I still was having neurological symptoms. And so I always thought that my mercury fillings played a role in this. I used to have a lot of them. Um, maybe like eight or 10. And then my, and then they got taking out, like I was probably like 18. I just went to the dentist in Flint and they were like, Hey, we don't use these anymore. We got to take them out. So looking back that probably potentially made it worse because they didn't take them out the way that you would take them out. They, you know, they just drill them out. And so that probably, (laughs) they probably just released even more mercury into my brain. And it's funny, I'm using two different methods to, um, detect the metals moving out of my body. One is hair tissue mineral analysis. And I think that probably 95% or more of HTMA practitioners actually don't know what the hell they're doing. And that's why HTMA gets a bad rap. But if you follow some of these guys like a Clark Engelbert or Aaron Hyatt, um, they follow the work of Dr. Wilson and Dr. Paul Eck. And if you look at their Instagrams, they show case studies of people eliminating metals. In my recent test, I did eliminate those metals. Now, on the flip side, there's a new device that I'm using as well. It's called the OligoScan. Have you heard of this? I have not. So basically, it's like a, I think it's like, I can't remember the exact technology on it, but it's like, you know, a lot of the new doctors are using it. They were at the biohacking conference and it uses light to detect, you use four different points on your palm and it uses some special form of light to read a a lot of your mineral levels, your vitamin levels, and then your heavy metal levels. And you will see, especially if you had mercury fillings, that your mercury on that chart will usually be right around the same 
uh, level as silver. And what are your amalgams made of? They're made of mercury. They're made of silver. Also had a lot of cadmium that was coming out on one of the tests, which is like, you know, my mom smoked, you know, a lot of cigarette smoke has cadmium. Um, I used to chew a lot of like grizzly wintergreen when I was addicted, you know, I was addicted to everything. So cadmium. And then I, I do think when I was doing my like bodybuilding style diets, cause I was crazy. I would do all these drugs and I would still work out all the time. I was like a madman, and I would eat shit tons of tuna like just cheap cans of tuna because the calories were low and the protein was high. It was like a bodybuilder's dream until you look back and realize how toxic it was. So, I mean, I don't even know how many, I would eat four cans of that in a day sometimes, you know? So I think that that probably didn't help. And then I have poor genetics for detoxification and I had all the antibiotic use growing up. You know, my Lyme doctor basically told me like, the antibiotics your whole life are what set you up for all this. Like you cannot wipe your system out for 18 years straight and expect to be detoxifying properly and to be functioning properly. No question. So the antibiotics definitely played a big part in all of it. I think because I'm the same age as you, our generation, my dermatologist put me on minocycline for like five years. Like (laughs) that could not be good. And then I had gut issues too. So are you still, detoxing from metals are you still dealing with health issues yeah i I am actually this this that htma protocol i've been on has i think heals at one of the deepest levels possible and i've had tons of parasites come out you know everyone i always say this people always talk about these parasite cleanses these herbal and i did some of those during my Lyme protocol and i actually think they'll make you worse because i think that parasites are in the body feeding off heavy metals you remove the heavy metals parasites come out on their own if you just go kill the parasite and it's feeding on the metal now the metals get redistributed to where potentially your brain where you know somewhere worse than where it already was could have been in one of your organs but now it's in your brain so now you have more brain fog than when you before when the parasite was just feeding on the metal somewhere else in the body so i don't like parasite cleanses at all um i I just like heavy metal detoxification and um the new protocol i'm doing I put this together. It's not anything new that some people haven't done in other ways, but it's just with a new product. My buddy Jeff Hoyt has this Zeocharge product um, that I think is probably one of the best heavy metal zeolite chelator, probably the best on the market, and almost no one knows about it because he's not on social media. He just has a biohacking studio up in, uh, I think it's Iowa. And... But I'm mixing it with the mineral balancing protocols. So the minerals, what people don't realize is they try to do these crazy chelation protocols and it's doing more harm than good because your body's holding on to the metals because of the mineral deficiencies and the imbalances. The the metals are in, they gain access through these mineral enzymatic sites. And so your body wants to hold on to something. The minerals are metals themselves. So your body wants something there. And it's going to hold on to the metal that's closest to the mineral on the periodic table. So it's basically what this kind of newer last decade field called ionomics. So ionic mimicry is another term that people say. It's basically, you know, lead will substitute for calcium if you don't have enough calcium coming in and you're not actually using the calcium in the right way. It'll be in your bones. Mercury, you know, same thing. Magnesium displaces metals. All these minerals are displacing the metals. But then I like to use the zeolite on top. So some of the HTMA practitioners say you just need coffee enemas, saunas, and then the minerals. But I've been playing around with using the zeolite powder on top. 
And that's why I'm doing monthly HTMAs instead of every three months. And then I'm also using that new device, that OligoScan. So we're trying to compile a few PDFs and see exactly what doing both of the protocols together are. Because my buddy Jeff's getting great results with just the Zeolites. The HTMA guys are getting really good results with just the HTMAs. So I'm kind of blending them together. Other people do this, like that Wendy Myers, she's a big HTMA person and detox metals, but she just uses other binders. You know, she does, she's never used ZeoCharge from what I know. So it's not anything new I created. It's just kind of with a new product. Now, are you peeing out these heavy metals or are you pooping them out? How do they get out of your body? So I think you do eliminate urine, feces, and then obviously you're going to see some come out of the hair. So sometimes people will lose hair because it's like a, it's a stressor. But you will see it come out of the hair, most likely during sweat through the sauna, you know. But if you just try to do chelators, even the zeolites, you know, my buddy Jeff said he gets great results with just the zeolites. But then I sent him a free hair test and his minerals levels weren't weren't good. So and then he started doing the mineral protocol, even though he's been on the zeolites for years. And he started to feel like shit. I go, that's because you're now moving around a little bit more than metals. Yes, the zeolite can help to grab them and get them out of the body. But I think you kind of need both because the body's not going to let go of that metal because it needs something there. It's literally a survival mechanism. But the problem is if you're using mercury instead of a mineral, you're looking at a catastrophe. You're really like, you know, you're operating at maybe 10% instead of 100% if it was all minerals. You made a comment about something that Jack Cruz posted, and now it makes sense to me. Because when you made you made the comment, he made a comment that we should have more, I think, sunlight influencers than something. And then I commented back and said, I think he means light is more important than minerals. But now that you just explained this to me, I want to take my message back from your Instagram if that's possible. It makes sense though. So where are we picking up all these heavy metals? They're just ubiquitous. You know, I talked about fillings and tuna and fish. Those are big because mercury is like a thousand times more toxic than lead. So the mercury is the biggest culprit and the hardest to remove. Gets stuck in the brain, right in your HPA axis where all of your hormonal function, you know, comes from. So mercury itself is the worst. We also just used to use all of these things. I'll say one of the biggest ways you get toxicity is you're born with it the mom will dump it in utero as a survival mechanism so you already get started off and we, we've seen this happen it, yeah our food system's fucked yeah we're eating seed oils like there's a lot of things that we're doing wrong we're also three four generations into the industrial revolution we use metals for everything you know, you you walk down the street. I live in Tampa. You breathe in brake dust the whole time you're going for a walk in the sunshine. So it's like you can't breathe without breathing in something. And so you cannot get away from heavy metals. And then on the back end, our farming system's fucked. So you don't have any minerals coming in and not in the right ratios. So you look at it, it's like it's just getting hit from both ways. The minerals aren't in the food. We're not even eating foods that may contain minerals half the time anyways because we're going to McDonald's or whatever. And then the metals are just ubiquitous. So the, the body's just grabbing what it can. And so, you know, you, you know, the lead paint. I mean, there's, you know, a lot of times people have aluminum toxicity. And so we just been drinking soda can. We drink out of aluminum all the time. Like you can't really avoid that. You drink, you know, even sparkling water comes in aluminum. Like everything comes in aluminum. You know, you drink a Zevia trying to be healthy. There's pro- it's probably got some aluminum in there maybe. 
who knows how much, but it's just the micro buildups over time. And there's a lot of research even that a lot of people with um, like anemia or iron issues actually just have aluminum toxicity. So it's really complex and I'm no expert in it. You know, I leave that to someone like a Clark or Aaron who really, really know, but I've been diving into their research and people say we don't need these supplements, but it's just not in the food. And we have way more toxins than we've ever, ever been exposed to. You know, the chemicals, the plastics, we're in, we're touching receipt paper with all these heavy metals. I mean, it is just coming from everywhere. And if you are not mineral balanced, you're going to hold on to those metals, period. And it's just going to be a slow build over time unless you have something chronic like I had. So how do we get mineral balance? I don't even know what, what are the important minerals? It's weird because ones you never heard of play a big role and sometimes your body dumps some of these help healthy minerals on the program so it's like you have an excess it's not even just like you don't have it it's like manganese is important sometimes you'll dump excess manganese and feel better or like copper is very important but sometimes you'll have a copper dump and feel better on the program and so it's 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 like you really need someone who's like research this stuff for like 10 years because sometimes they're giving you manganese or giving you copper while you're dumping excess copper. It's very bizarre how it works. I think it takes a very, very sophisticated practitioner. I'm not an expert in it. I've been trying to learn a lot um, through Clark and through Aaron, my practitioner. But it's I have my wife on it. I have my best friend on it. I have Jeff Hoyt. He's like a detox expert on it. I mean, it's tough. And I think a lot of people quit because it is tough. These metals are floating around in your brain. And they're not good. And it's, you know, my, my cousin's wife's got PCOS. She just started the program. She's dreaming for the first time in years, but also very sluggish, you know, can't work out like she wanted to. And when I tell people that, they always say, well, maybe now's not a good time. And it's like, well, when is a good time? You think you're going to be less busy next year than you are this year? Like, I mean, there is no good time. No one really wants to feel like shit. You just got to, you got to choose your health at some point. Yeah, I mean, the best time to improve your health is today. Yeah. Because you have no idea what happens long term. So when you say you have them on it, is it your pro, the Z Light plus the other stuff? So I got three people doing the mineral program with the zeolites. So we're, this is like a new thing we've been doing for a few months to see how it will affect the mineral ratios because that's the other thing is like the, the mineral people have a pretty good idea through 10 years of just working with people how balancing minerals will kind of look but then my practitioner is like i don't know if the zeolite will shift things faster for better or worse so i'm doing monthly hair tests as opposed to usually people do them like every three months because what it is is you can take start taking a mineral program off a hair test feel like shit for maybe a month and then start feeling a lot better for a few months. But the problem is if you don't get an upgraded test, you might be taking too much of something or too little of something or something that you don't need at all. So you have to switch with the hair test. You do have to do upgraded tests. They're only like 200 bucks, 300 bucks. If you want to consult with it, that's from Aaron Clark's like double the price because he's kind of like top of his game. Um, he's like 600, I think, to work with him, but he's really detailed and his consults and his information online is really great. But I don't know. It seems to be everyone that I have on it has thanked me for putting them on it, my wife included. Now, do you see clients part of your business model or how else are you making, how else are you making money? 
Yeah. So, you know, I combo, I do the retreats. I am doing some coaching. Um, my coaching will be dramatically more sophisticated over the next year or two. I'm in, uh, I'm in FDN's program right now. You know what that is? I do not. Uh, it's functional diagnostic nutrition. Uh, you kind of become like a more of a practitioner than a coach. And so I can read like GI maps and food sensitivity testings and hormone levels. And there's a lot of different tests that we learn within that program. So to be a little bit more sophisticated, you know, right now I kind of just do like diet advice and morning routines and things like that, things to help people optimize. And I do want to get into more like relationship coaching and stuff with my wife, but, um, for now, which is kind of more basic, I you know, because there are some basic supplements that I think everybody could take, you know, that would make them feel better, some B vitamins, some magnesium, how to eat right, eat more protein, things like that. So I have enough knowledge to coach, but I just wanted that certification to kind of put a stamp of approval on it and allow me to order a few more tests if they do have some extreme gut issues going on or if I think maybe they're reacting to some of the foods that they're eating and stuff like that. So just trying to grow the podcast and then grow the coaching business over time. And then my wife and I do the retreats and then uh, I have the combo practice as well. Are the retreats in Costa Rica? Cause when I first reached out to you, you said I'm in Costa Rica till whatever time I'll call you when I get back. No, I was just there on my honeymoon, but we, oh, nice. we, we do love Costa Rica. We've debated throwing a retreat over there, but they've just been more local. They've been like uh, within an hour and a half, two hours away from Tampa. Wait, you just got married? You were on your honeymoon? So we got married during COVID, so we took our honeymoon a couple years late because we didn't want to deal with, you know, vaccine here or, um, you know, masking up everywhere. We just didn't feel like dealing with looking up. You know, it's already a lot to plan a honeymoon, and then you got to look up all of the restrictions, not only for the country, but each city could be different. You know, like it was just it was too much work, and we were just like, let's just hang out for for a while, and then we'll do our honeymoon when we feel like it. You're such an independent thinker because a lot of people I talked to that got married during the pandemic, they still forced the honeymoon, but you weren't attaching like a successful start of your marriage to having a honeymoon right after. Does your wife think along the same lines as you do? Yes and no. Um, okay. She's adopted a lot of my thinking over time. Um, she usually thinks I'm somewhat crazy in the beginning, but then usually gives it. Cause she, cause whatever I tell her usually works. So, um, <laughs> she, you know, like don't buy the PMF mat right before we go to Costa Rica. And then now she's like 10 out of 10 lays on the PMF mat, like every day for an hour. So it's like, <laughs> you know, same thing with the sauna, same thing with the ozone. So, um, but she lets me do what I want and that's why we work well together. And she's very independent as well and has her own business and does what she wants. So we're very good at that, but then also creating space to connect together as well. So it's uh it's it's works because i don't think i could have somebody who didn't i i just am like this i'm like you said very independent very try a lot of things you know fail forward type of guy and if i didn't have somebody who supported that i wouldn't wouldn't be able to be in a relationship with him well you sound like you value freedom above almost everything and you sound like kind of like me like you could never work for someone it just wouldn't work out for the boss. Yeah, I have worked, you know, lots of different serving jobs and fine dining, you know, steakhouses and different things like that where I made a bunch of money, which the I, only reason I like those is because I can leave for a month if I want to or, you know, you can work three days a week. You can like I just cannot be tied down. Like I'm not going to accept the job. I've been offered so many jobs where you work like 60 hours a week in the office and I'm like, fuck you. I just if it's not my own thing, I'm not doing it. Like I, I, I worked a lot of hours like that when I owned a dispensary, but it was for myself. 
You know, yeah. I, I was grinding for my own personal gain, not for someone else to make a bunch of money off of my work. I mean, you don't want to sell 60 hours of your life a week to build an empire for somebody else. No, I mean, even with the serving jobs and stuff that I've had down here in Tampa and everything, I, I might work like 28 hours a week. Like, I'll give you that. But then, you know, it's crazy down here. You can make like two grand in like 28 hours working at a fine dining restaurant. So it's like it's crazy. something like that. I'm, I'm cool with. Yeah, I'll come in. But, you know, am I going to sit here and work 60 hours behind a desk for you for 80 grand or 100 grand a year? No. Not gonna do it. No, doesn't give you any time to build anything. Yeah, well, you and then know. you blink and you're 45 and like you pass your prime. Yeah, no, it's it's just I've never been that person. I've never worked a desk job. I can't do it. I just I the the freedom for me is definitely top of the totem pole. So what is Cambo? Am I saying that right? C K Combo. And then Combo. What's what is that? So I actually think Combo is going to be a really, really great adjunct therapy. I kind of want to talk to some of these like functional practitioners who treat Lyme because it's really, really good for chronic infections and Lyme and all of the co-infections. Um, but it's an Amazonian medicine that's used in South America uh, predominantly. And it's frog secretion from the Phylomedusa bicolor frog. And basically they take the secretion from the frog, they put it on a stick, and then they'll mail you the stick. And you have to burn little superficial, they call them gates, but they're just basically little burn holes in your skin. You're not like trying to reach blood or anything. You're literally taking off the very top layer so that it can get into your lymphatic system. And then there's dozens of bioactive peptides within the combo. Like everyone's talking about peptides. Combo is actually a peptide medicine. And so all these peptides work really, really well. And you do have to purge, you puke. You use the bathroom because there's a lot of uh, gastric kind of peptides in there as well that work on stomach function and things like that. But we've seen it be really, really effective for parasites. There will be some heavy metals in there. I don't know if it'll, it, it didn't detox me like all of my metals, but I'm sure that some came out during that process. Um, a lot of good for mold, you know, people with low thyroid, it's, it's super potent anti-inflammatory. People get a lot of, uh, anxiety relief, things like that. So, and it's cool because it's ceremonial. And I think a lot of times within our culture, we don't really have ceremony around anything. Like when's the last time you said, I'm going to a ceremony or something sacred. Like we don't, we don't even cook food anymore. So Getting people to block out a couple hours for a nice ceremony with the indigenous music and really tapping in and no phones and doing something for their health is really, really cool. And also, I think it's effective for some of these chronic infections that we're dealing with. So I think it is going to kind of blow up. But on the backside, there might be, since it is an animal medicine, not something we can grow, it might be limited if we continue to popularize it. So we'll have to keep our finger on the pulse of whether or not it'll even be like available to everybody forever, unless we can somehow synthesize it in a lab or something like that. Well, if the drug companies find out how to make money off this at frog secretions, they'll find out. They haven't been able to, they haven't been able, they've been trying forever. They, 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 they can't, they haven't been successful. They've tried to isolate, isolate a lot of the peptides and they just don't work. And my thought process is they all work synergistically. And they, you know, they work together instead of like, you know, we try to be super reductionist view like this peptide dermaseptin works for this. Let's isolate it. And it just doesn't work for them. And I think there are specific things within nature and in the world that you have to use it in its full form to get all of the uh, healing powers from it. And I, I think combo is one of those. How did you get introduced to that? 
It's interesting. I was just was playing around with psychedelics. I was playing around with any healing protocol I could. And there's this guy who's kind of become like a mentor and a good friend to me. His name's Todd Shipman. He's been in the biohacking space for a long time. And he just started having all of these like posts about combo and how it helps with this and helps with that. And so I just Googled, like got on the, uh, the IAKP website, which is where I ended up getting trained through and found a practitioner that was in Orlando and he drove over to me even. So he came right to my house. It was like a couple hundred bucks and I felt awful because I had like <laughs> Lyme and everything. Cause so like if you're have a lot of Lyme and things going on, you can feel awful. But you know, over time I gradually felt better and better and better from the combo. And now I've went through an advanced training as well because I realized that if you do have like severe autoimmune or Lyme or some of these chronic infections, there are supplements that you can give people to make them not feel as bad as I did. So I wish somebody would have known that, you know, when I was experimenting with combo. So like Todd and this other girl, Caitlin, she's got the course. We've kind of been playing around like the zeolite powder that I was talking about earlier is one that's really effective because you purge but you don't get out everything. And then the liver and the kidneys and everything have to process that for the next day or two, all the other, you know, bacteria and stuff that you've kind of moved around. So giving people zeolite powders for a couple of days really helps. Things like NAC really help. Anything that's kind of stimulating that bioflow or that liver or any kind of binder really, really helps if someone's dealing with something that's a little bit more chronic. So I also have people laying on the PMF mat on a Schumann resonance. So it's, it's also like a heating pad cause people can get a little cold from the, the blood pressure, um, you know, rise and fall that happens with combo. So like the heating pad, the red light, the PMF. So there's a few of us in like the health and biohacking space who are kind of trying to elevate the combo experience as far as like supplements and playing around with different devices. What is the Schumann resonance? That's just like, I'm not super expert in frequencies, but it's supposed to be like the grounding, the the frequency of like the mother earth. So it's a super like, cause it has all these settings on the PMF mat. You know, when I'm trying to detox and stuff, I use a different frequency that's for like circulation and detoxification because I'm trying to move around these heavy metals and things that I have going on, but I'm not trying to overpower anybody when they're doing a combo experience. I just want them to be a little bit more grounded and I want that PMF to help you know, release some of the toxins if, if it does help a little bit. We don't, we don't really know, but we're just kind of theorizing that, hey, if it's helping to simulate with these frequencies from the pulse electromagnetic fields, then maybe that's helping with the, uh, when the combo is trying to kill off some of this bacteria and stuff. And plus it's very grounding. So it's like a calming, you know, they have different frequencies that you can play before bed as opposed to what you would play in the morning or when you're trying to detox. So there's just different settings and the Schumann resonance is a very grounding, very calm one. So I like to use that. And I don't know that I think that we're going to have some good, like white papers and actual data out on combo for chronic infections, especially Lyme over the next few years. And I think a lot of people are going to use that more as an adjunct therapy. You know, I always say this, I still went to Dr. Minkoff and did the muscle testing and did the herbs and did the ozone. It wouldn't have healed me in and of itself, but it's a good adjunct therapy and it's not really all that expensive, 150, 200 bucks, depending on the practitioner. So are you right now considered free of Lyme disease or do you know? I mean, within like eight weeks, I was no longer muscle testing for Lyme. So I I didn't run another, you know, the, the, 
the labs are sketchy for it. So I kind of relied on whether or not I would, my nervous system was muscle testing for it. And I wasn't, so I was when I started and then I wasn't eight weeks later, but I did a $20,000 protocol. Like I literally put a bunch of shit on credit cards. I did $12,000 in dental work. Like I got all my cavitations removed. I had one mercury filling that was underneath of like a silver crown that I had from when I was younger. That whole tooth had to get extracted. You know, I went to an IAOMT doctor who knew how to do all that or a dentist who knew how to do all that stuff properly. Um, so, you know, I did a lot of things that also I think were contributing to the immune function. You know, you know how bad them and them cavitations and infections in the jaw can really slow healing, if not halt it all altogether. You know, some people really try everything and they can't heal until they get rid of those cavitations or other jaw infections that they have. So I did a lot of stuff. So it's hard for me to just tell someone that combo will just heal on its own, but I think it's a great adjunct therapy. It really will bust up some biofilms. You can release some parasites. You can get rid of a lot of, it's great for candida. So, I mean, you can really, you'll, you'll feel it a lot of times within your gut function. Like my wife did combo for the first time and she was like, I feel like I can digest everything like a lot better. So and your mood's better, your sleep's better. And so I think it's just going to be a good, more popular, like therapy on the side of whatever you're already doing when they removed your cavitations was it a tooth that had a root canal and they took the tooth out and then they curataged the bone and bone grafted or what procedure did you go through for that so it was i had the four cavitations from where i had my wisdom teeth removed when i was younger oh okay so there was it wasn't attached to a tooth nope it was from where okay. I had got my wisdom teeth out. And then that one tooth that had the crown, he thought he was going to be able to save it. But once he got in there, it was really dead. And he was like, you're going to have to just, this thing's been dead forever. So you're going to have to take it out. So when they took that tooth out, did you replace it with anything or is it an empty space? I still have an empty space because it's in the back because the, I was spending so much money at the time. And he was like, the, the, the good implant that you would put in was like five grand or something. I was like... I don't got it right now. I was already putting shit on credit cards and all of that. So yeah. now that I maybe the next couple of years, once I have like everything paid off and kind of bounce back from all the money I was spending on devices and doctors and everything, then I'll maybe get a bridge or, or one of them nice uh, implants. Like the, the metal free zirconia. Yeah. There's zirconium. Yeah. Those are like five okay. grand, aren't they? They're, they're so expensive. Yeah, if you want to get an implant and the crown on top, you're leaving like eight grand for the whole deal. It's insane. Yeah. And the research on zirconia implants is not as strong as you'd like it to be. And we don't know if they're going to fracture in your mouth in 10 years or not. Oh, wow. And that's a whole mess. So if the implant breaks in your mouth, you're doing extra surgery to dig out the implant. Wow. So talk to me before you go through that. Yeah. So I, I, I actually have like a bunch of like fillings on my back tooth where my one I've been to two different dentists that are holistic and he was like dude you might just want to get a bridge because like the one back tooth already has a bunch of fillings in it so we could just shave it down it wouldn't it's not like it's a perfect tooth it's already had some issues from when you were younger so I don't know I'll definitely keep you in in mind before I go through any kind of procedure with that but I've it is annoying but you know, I actually have to fix a crossbite that I have before I even worry about a tooth. Honestly, I have some receding gum lines that, that they say is basically from how my jaw, you know, when I'm eating, I have a crossbite. So I think I might, my next procedure anyways, would be like Invisalign or something like that. Talk to me before you do that too. <laughs> I'll kind of walk you through that as well. Okay. So looking back, you're 35 now. 
what would, let's say, 10-year-old Matt think of you now? Did you ever imagine you would be as thoughtful, empathetic, successful, integrative at 35 when you were such a young boy then? Uh, it's weird. I always felt different than everyone around Flint. I felt like I had more intellect and depth to me. And I think we didn't touch on that piece, but I feel like that's another small factor that played into like drinking and doing drugs was just the people that you had to be around within that city. Um, so you had to kind of dumb yourself down to even have the conversations that they wanted to have. But I used to always talk about life and being successful and things, even when I was doing drugs. So I always like definitely knew I wanted to push and be successful, but like the means weren't there and I didn't realize how much toxicity I had in my body and what, what it would take, you know? So I'm, I'm years behind where I should be because of the chronic illness, but also the chronic illness is what helps the podcast, right? I have so many discussions around detox and things like that. So it's all, you know, you know, it's all part of what I was supposed to go through to kind of share my message, but no, I don't. I really was, absolutely batshit crazy. I thought I would drink just forever. I didn't care that I drank, you know, I, I just, I didn't know I would have a successful relationship. I didn't know like what life was going to look like. And I got my best friend who was really crazy and was like growing a lot of cannabis and stuff too. I got him into psychedelics and we, we think back like, dude, we'd almost, our younger selves would like puke at the, at the discussions that we have that are like thoughtful and meaningful and around relationships and, how much softer we've became. It was just, we were just very like tough type of people, you know, you just really, that's how everyone was around there. It wasn't, it wasn't out of the norm. You didn't look odd. Everybody had to have, uh, you know, a tough personality. Cause if not, you'll get walked over in Flint. Do you ever look at yourself and tell yourself that you're proud of the man you've become? Yeah, I do. And it's interesting, you know, sometimes I kind of get this imposter syndrome a little bit. And I think maybe that's just because I care. But, you know, it's like, especially after going to the biohacking conference this last weekend, and that was like my first time showing up at a conference, because I've been really sick. And people who really like were attracted to me and thought that I had a lot of knowledge and a lot of insight and really liked my energy. And I was like, wow, these are like some of the highest level people in the entire industry. These are people that I've been listening to on podcasts for years, you know, or I've podcasted with some of them. So they knew me. That's how I had discussions with them. But I, I just, it's crazy. I I've come so far and I really did because I was so sick. People don't realize I didn't really leave my house. I would listen to four podcasts a day, just searching heavy metals, lime, mold. Like I would just research all day. Like I, I was out of pure necessity in how I felt, how I've gathered up all this knowledge, honestly. What about being there made you feel like an imposter? Um, I don't know, man. I just, it's just like, I'm so different from a lot of the people. A few of them have had like addictive patterns, but I also don't even think that their addictive patterns a lot of times were quite like mine. Like I was just selling a bunch of drugs, like just working in a crazy ghetto strip club. Like honestly, I didn't even say this. Like my, my one of my homies like killed somebody in front of me one time there. Killed him. Oh, wow. And dude was like walking up on him to rob him or do whatever. He just killed him. And just right in front of me, I've... um. And you know what I always look back at what's crazy is I didn't quit. I was addicted to the money. 
I came back the next day or whatever, you know, my next shift and just worked like it was normal. It was like we were so immune to the violence there that it was insane. So, like, I just have been around terrible role models, a very rugged city that's kind of been thrown away by the government. I feel like it used to be a very prosperous city and they exported all the jobs and that's the main reason why Flint is what it is. It used to be a very nice city. You know, there's some nice houses there actually in certain areas, but they've very few and far between. But a lot of people used to just work at GM and make a lot of money there. And they kind of just been swept under the rug by the government and people just looking to make more money and outsourcing the jobs. And so it's just like, I'm just so different from all these people, you know, but you know, I show up in authenticity. I let my personality and my knowledge speak for myself. And I got a good breath of fresh air after going to that first conference because I felt like people really liked me and, you know, some high level people asking me for suggestions around health advice and stuff. I really was like, like, wow, like, you know, like this person has access to anybody in the world, like, you know, millionaire type people asking me for a little bit of health advice really had me thinking like, okay, I've, I've done enough research and, you know, that's never done, but I definitely put in the hours, you know, they always say put in your 10,000 hours or whatever, like through this chronic illness, I've put in the hours, I've put in the research. That's so funny that you think you're an imposter because every time I interview someone, I like secretly hope that person like canceled last minute because like I'm nervous. Mm-hmm. I'm always like, oh my God, I'm interviewing Matt and Matt has all these followers and he's his life experience. I'm the imposter. And for me to hear that you feel like you're the imposter, that blows my mind <laughs> that you think that way. I, you know, I, I always, I do tell my wife, I think imposter syndrome is mislabeled sometimes as that you actually care. You care about what you're doing. You care about how you're going to sound within the interview. You care about the message that you put out to people, especially if you're trying to be true to yourself and authentic. And some of these topics that I talk about with addiction and things, they, they get heavy, you know, and, but then I come out of them and I feel really good. Like they almost feel like therapy to me. And that's kind of what keeps me going more so than interviewing somebody with a whole bunch of followers, like just talking and having these conversations. And if it helps one person who's going through addiction or struggles or never had role models, then so be it. You know, it doesn't have to touch a million people. You have a, either it's self-resilience or there's something about your personality that's a never give up personality, which is rare in people. <laughs> I'm a warrior. You're, you are. There, at no point in your life do you ever think to yourself, fuck it, let's just give up. Let's no. Just, no. And that's, I think that's why you are the way you are today. Cause you're, you're always seeking. So our mutual friend, Tyler Panzer was saying there's correlations between extremely high IQ and seeking like novel new things. And you definitely have that pattern of behavior. Mm-hmm. I love it. I, I can get bored easy with certain things. I like to switch it up, try new protocols, do whatever. A lot of it was out of necessity as well. So I always push that like if you felt like I did you would have tried combo and every psychedelic on the market too like I was just really I was really going through it the the level of depression that I had and you know it was never to like a suicidal thing but there was moments of thinking like I can't make it through the day like you know I would take a nap like every day sometimes I'd be up for like two hours and go back to bed like I'd go to Walmart or something and it felt like I ran a marathon and got hit by a bus and I would just go back to bed so it was it was insane but I was just, if I couldn't move, I would lay there and listen to a podcast. Like, it didn't matter. Like, I just was always consuming information. 
especially because I had heard a lot of these like functional doctors and things on different podcasts. And I just felt like you could heal anything. I felt like the body with the right inputs could heal. Had I not ever been introduced to some of them podcasts, maybe I wouldn't have had the same mind mindset. That's amazing. Well, I got to ask you, man, because as we're kind of like closing up on this podcast, what is one piece of advice you would give to any young man that was in a similar situation you were in? Huh. It's so tough because everyone's experience, especially coming from them places is different. And it, it's, you got to want it for one, you have to want to change. And I would say there's two different avenues for that question. And one is I had to move away from that environment. I had to, I sold everything. I quit growing cannabis. I moved, I moved so far away from everybody. And I knew a couple people down here, but they were like, they grew up in that too, but they were down here being more normal, you know, trying to build a business, you know? So I knew a few friends down here in Tampa, but I moved away. So I think even if you move away for a couple of years, change all of your habits, change your addictions, and then maybe go back for family. I think you would still come out of that a different person because it's, it's, honestly insane. You don't realize if you never move away, how much you just like rely on other people for things because you have so many connections. Like I had a guy who would fix my car for cheap or a guy who would fix my electrical for cheap. Like you don't have any of that. When you move away, you got to find a new grocery store. You got to find a new gym. You have to find everything's new. You know, I pay like 10 times more to fix my car down here than I would in Flint because I always had connections there. So you don't realize how much you rely on connections and other people and that struggle of moving away from everything that you've ever known will build you into something different and then also get you away from the environment that's keeping you in whatever addictive kind of loop that you're in. And I spent a long time alone. People don't want to hear that. You know, I didn't hang out with anybody really. I just was meditating and doing yoga and I was just researching. Like I didn't hang out with anybody for years and some sometimes I still don't hang out with a lot of people. So you really got to kind of be a lone wolf for a while and really try to process everything that you've been through to really come out of the other side. And then the other thing is, you know, I was just listening to this uh, interview with Zuby and Elon Musk. I don't know if you've heard that uh, interview at all. I was on Twitter and it was like, I say this all the time, like the, as long as you have a phone or a computer, you have access to the internet. Elon was talking about how you have more information at your fingertips than the most powerful person in 1990 had. There was no internet. You have access to so much healing, traumatic work, um, therapy. You can go to therapy without leaving your house now. Like, I mean, you can go to get hire a coach or a mentor right online. I don't care. Like, you know, my wife's put coaches on a credit card. You know, you got to do what you got to do sometimes if you're really trying to change. So, you know, move away, get away from all them people. You're the sum of the, you know, the five people that you hang out with the most. So you hang out with five losers. You'll be the sixth. So get the fuck away from those people. You know, it's all love. I don't hate any of them people. I just had to get away. I still talk to some of them. I'm not going to hang around them every day. You know, I'm still cool with them. I don't hate them. I just had to get out of there. And then also you have unlimited access to information. I didn't know anything that I was talking about five, six years ago. You have unlimited access. Go seek it out. Heal yourself, whether it's trauma, toxins, chronic infections, whatever it is, and just get the fuck away from losers. That's amazing. It sounds like you took complete ownership of your entire life and it worked out because it doesn't work out for everyone. 
Can you tell us about your podcast, how people can find you, your Instagram? Yeah, so if you want to do any like one-on-one coaching or whatever, it's just integrativethoughts.com. I have a bunch of combo information there. You can also find my email there if you want to maybe do like a free consultation as far as coaching. You know, I can help with... You man, you know, a lot of people don't even know where to start. So if you want to know about how to work on any of your traumas or get into a better morning routine or eat better, or, you know, I, I'm a supplement wizard. I've tried, I've probably spent hundred grand on supplements the past five years or something. I don't know. I've, I've tried every supplement you could think of. So if you want supplement stacks, anything like that, you can find my email over on my website to get a hold of me. And the podcast is called Integrative Thoughts. Same thing. Uh, I talk to a lot of, you know, people around addictions, suicide, eating disorders, uh, supplementation, a lot of supplement companies, you know, quantum stuff over there, relationship stuff with my wife, chronic illness. So kind of a whole host of things if you guys want to check that out. Matt, that's awesome. Well, I cannot thank you enough for coming on. I can already tell we're going to be good friends and I hope you enjoy the rest of the week. Yeah, thanks, brother. Thanks for letting me share my story. All right. Talk to you soon.